big thing Late for my job and the traffic was bad Had to borrow ten bucks from my old man Uh-huh It ain't no big thing to the Blattcast. Yes, it is I, Christian Blatt, here for another fun-filled episode, our fourth, that's right, one, two, three, four, fourth and final continuation of a conversation about Captain Marvel, the movie, but also the comics that have come before, uh, joined by friend of the Blattcast, friend of the Dennis Miller Show, friend too few and far between. The one and only Mr. Rob Lorich. Rob, welcome back to the Blackcast. Thank you, Christian. It's great to be here. Great to be sitting right next to you in beautiful Los Angeles. Yes. In the same, in the same studio. Yes. Uh, we uh, actually have one of those uh, gigantic milkshakes, and we have two straws that meet in the middle, and uh, we'll be sharing from it throughout the course of the hour. Uh, Yay. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, obviously, people should already be following Rob Lorich on Twitter. It's all people. People need to follow Rob Lorich. And he's at R. Lorich. And don't forget, the Blattcast. What? It's at Blattcast, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T, on the Twitter. The Blattcast on Facebook. And, of course, Blattcast.com. That's where you need to go for all of your Blattcasting needs. Now, Rob, I've... Uh, I feel like I've been talking about this movie for a month, uh, mostly because I have. But <laughs> I wanted to give you an opportunity to talk about the movie, what you liked, what you didn't, and uh, just some of your overall thoughts on it. Well, you've been, you have been talking to about this film for at least a month with me, so yes. I know that's true. <laughs> yes, that's true. Um, and you've this is your fourth. This is your fourth. Captain Marvel Blackcast. Well, because episode. the Chris Claremont episode got uh, got dropped in there, uh, the, oh, conver- okay. the conversation uh-huh. I did on AfterBuzz, I thought it would be helpful to have that be part of the Blackcast as well, because I know we're going to talk a little bit about it. And I also thought it might be interesting for people to be able to listen as opposed to watching that on YouTube. So uh, I also, you know, it helps get the episode count up by uh, repurposing sure. content from other sources. So uh, yeah, so that's what the third part is. This is the this is the third new conversation that I'm having about the film, but uh, the fourth overall episode. All right. Well, it's pro- I'm probably going to rehash everything. Yeah, okay. that's fine. Full disclosure: I'm about 87 podcasts behind. Oh, good. So <laughs> I don't know what you've talked about. I don't know what Dennis has talked about since last summer. I'm way behind in everything because I can't listen to him anymore at work under the new management. So. I'm probably going to rehash stuff you've already heard. Well, we always welcome that here on the podcast. We like, uh, you know, we like to, uh, you know, it's a very, it's a very green sort of approach. We like to, you know, just repurpose and recultivate uh, conversations that have been had before. Okay, good. Well, as you know, um, whenever there's a Marvel film coming out, 
I read uh, a couple dozen comics leading up to it as uh, homework, we'll say. And then my leading up to Captain Marvel, I read roughly 229 comic books. So I kind of have a pretty good knowledge of the comic history of the original Ca- Captain Marvel, Marvel, through uh, Monica Rambeau, the second Captain Marvel, through the third Captain Marvel, Genis, uh, Marvel's son, who's that's a whole different thing we need, don't wow, even talk I, about I, now. I honestly didn't even know about that, to tell you the truth. Oh, I, didn't even, it, I didn't even know he, he had was, a kid. He was, I believe, and I haven't read it. I didn't read him on this swing, but I read him back in the day 20 plus years ago. And I want to say he was, um, they took Marvel's DNA and basically kind of like did a clone son thing. But that's his son. Is in in indirectly is considered his son in Marvel history. And that's one of the lessons that uh, the young men out there need to heed is that you have to be very protective of your DNA because you never know when someone is going to try and trap you into a clone offspring of yourself. Yeah, and next thing you know, you're on Mori Povich, and they're saying the clone is your father or yeah. whatever he does. Yeah. It gets ugly. Yeah. But no, so I, I've read a lot of comics leading up to this. And I read a lot of Carol Danvers back in the day, the day before this. But yeah, I read over 200 comic books. Um, which is which is stunning, by the way. That it's 200. You know, I mean, that's uh, <clears throat> you know, I could I could easily have read 200 comics if only I had the time. But uh, I, uh, you know, I I have trouble trying to find time to, you know, read like four that I pick up or that show up at my house every month, basically. So uh, I sure. I, I commend that uh, kind of dedication to this uh, task. Yes, and when we spoke with you last year, right before Infinity War, you had done a uh, completely different reading list. Was there any crossover of uh, things that you were reading again this year, or you were like, well, I just read that, I'm going to skip it? Um, some I skipped, some I did reread, but yeah, there was a crossover uh, mainly because of Marvel, Captain Marvel. Right. Is I started, when I read, leading up to infinity war uh i started with the introduction of thanos and he marvell i have to i'm going to say marvell instead of cap just so we can differentiate to yes. carol danvers who's uh, Captain Mar- rather than so marvell marvell was thanos's uh main vil- antagonist they were, that was thanos was the big villain for marvell and so reading the introduction of thanos in his First big story involved Marvel and the Avengers, and it's what re- was re- retroactively dubbed the first Thanos War. And basically, Thanos gains a cosmic cube and tries to take over the galaxy and become a god. It's a, it's a it's a reoccurring theme with him. Yeah, I was gonna say, you know what that is? Classic Thanos. Ugh, it is classic Thanos. Thanos. The second Thanos War, again involving Marvel and the Avengers was the first time he tried to unite uh, the Infinity Gems, or stones. And that was really the first time they were, they were nailed down. They were kind of floating around, and then they gave them different colors, and then this was the first story where they actually, uh, if memory serves, ah, it might be this, or maybe it was, uh, now I'm getting confused myself, it was either the second Thanos War, or it was in the original Infinity Gauntlet story. Somewhere in there is when they finally named like the Soul Gem, the power gem, the time gem, and had they, they had different properties and all that stuff. And he tries to unite them. And again, he stopped by Marvel, uh, mainly Marvel, Adam Warlock, and Thor played a part in that. But it was an Avenger, again, an Avenger story. Sure. Marvel then died in graphic uh, Marvel graphic novel number one, 
Which, so by he the way, wasn't around when they did Infinity Gauntlet. Yeah, I just read uh, for the first time within the, the last week or so, I just read Marvel graphic novel number one. I'd kind of always wanted to read it because I knew it was this death of Captain Marvel. And as Marvel deaths go, his stuck for a long time. My understanding is that he has been alive or at least popped in from a different point in his timeline so they've used the character again but uh to just sort of read it in the place of well this guy dies at the end uh, i thought it was uh, it was it was a really well done story and uh you know you get uh, you get some you know you get some emotional moments you get star fox crying you know, you get a wow. you get a lot of good stuff in there. And obviously some uh, amazing crossover potential with basically the entire Marvel Universe. You know, you get you got Spidey who can't even handle it, you know. Uh, so wow. uh, I thought uh, it was great. And it's uh, I highly recommend it uh, to uh, people who haven't read it. Uh, you know, as as a young boy, I never read it because, you know, you would have had to buy the physical actual comic book. And uh, it was always it always seemed to be worth quite a bit. The Marvel graphic novel number one. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't until I was in my 40s that I read it. But uh, I I, uh, I am not that familiar with the Marvel character. I haven't read much with him in it. So uh, it, it's it's sort of an interesting thing where it's kind of my first real exposure to him is this kind of final adventure where he realizes he's dying. That was the that was the first Marvel story I read too. I read oh. it when I worked at a comic shop on a slow day. I just pulled it off the shelf, right. which of course now I'm kicking myself. I should have bought it. <laughs> you know, I didn't. That was 25 years ago, roughly, yeah. almost. But um, I did too, and I'm like, wow, I see why this is a this guy was a big deal. Now for this run, leading my comic reading run, leading up to the Captain Marvel film, I went back and started with his introduction. So his first appearance. Carol Danvers' first appearance, was it, which was in his second issue he was in, uh, Marvel Superheroes 12 and 13, I believe. And then they gave him his own title, Captain right. Marvel. Sure. So I read those from the beginning, and then I ended up rereading the, the, the first Thanos War. That's the only part I really reread, and, and his issues that were part of that. But I read his entire run. Then they began Ms. Marvel, and I read that entire run. And then kind of any story that was seemed important – where one of them would appear in someone else's book, like uh, um, uh, Marvel Two and One with with Thing, or um, Marvel Team Up with Spider Man, something like that, or maybe an X Men story. Wherever they would pop up and it looked important, I'd read that. Right. So I went through his whole run, then her initial run, and then we came. So and it was interesting. And I'll say something that parallels both books. Neither solo book is great. The Mar original Marvel run is not great, and the original Ms. Marvel run, even though it's written by Claremont, is not great. They both characters, both of them, I feel, they both work better with their, when they're with, not necessarily on a team book, well, not, not necessarily on a team, but in a team book, when they're interacting with other characters. Right. And I can't say that's a fault of the, the characters. They're superheroes. You can, I just have a feeling that most writers didn't know what to do with them because they had a high power set and they were deemed quote unquote cosmic in right. some degree or another. Yeah. I, uh, I do find that uh, to, 
sort of be the case. I mean, I thought it was interesting when I spoke with uh, Chris Claremont last week, which people heard uh, in the previous installment of the Black Cast number 319, that, uh, you know, he ended up writing Ms. Marvel mostly because he just, you know, he got paid by the page. So he took on yeah. more pages. And one of the points that I didn't make to him, because I don't know, I guess it wasn't that significant. But at that point, Marvel stories were 17 pages. So that's five less pages you were getting paid for than you would a few years later or even a few years earlier. So, you know, picking up Ms. Marvel when nobody seemed to want to write the book, he's like, sure. And then I know I feel like he was starting to kind of get a good handle on her, probably right about the time they changed her costume to the blue yeah. costume. And uh, then, of course, the book gets canceled. And you know, she ends up in the Avengers, which, as we covered last time, uh, she was never a fit there. Um, you know, Claremont didn't have a good answer because he's a writer and uh, doesn't necessarily want to speak with other writers. Uh, sp speak about other writers, particularly that writer of the Avengers that, uh, if you know, if you look around online, I don't think uh, he, he and David Michelini ever actually got along very well. Or at least that's what Jim Shooter's putting out there in the Internet. So, mm. uh, but... What do you think about Carol Danvers, then Ms. Marvel? Uh, why do you think she didn't work in the Avengers when, you know, it's a similar situation. She-Hulk's book gets canceled. She ends up in the Avengers. She also ends up in the Fantastic Four. I think that she did really well in both of those series. And actually, that's when I first started reading the FF was when She-Hulk was on the team. Um, why do you think that uh, Carol does not work well, or at least in, in that stretch of the Avengers, why she didn't work that well? Well, in that one, as opposed to a later stretch where we'll talk about in a bit, which was actually my, my favorite Carol Danvers, um, which is from eh, around 2000-ish, maybe. Is this, um, that is this Warbird Carol Danvers? Or yes. Okay. Yeah, that, which was the first I read, and that was my favorite. And having read all of them pretty much now up until the last couple of years, that is – it's still by far my favorite, and I'll get to that. I don't know. It, it, again, it's the same as – well, I shouldn't say it's the same as a solo book where Marvell, like you were talking about how they, those uh, they were writing seventeen-page stories at the time, and those kind of would fluctuate every couple of years. Some would go more, some would go less, or what have you. What's interesting is going back and reading these books now. A lot of those books, the original Marvell, uh, I know Ghost Rider did it, and some of those other, it had been mostly early seventies to mid seventies. Those were pu published every other month. They weren't even monthlies at times. So it makes more sense that these guys like Claremont wanted to stockpile books for, for money. They're getting paid by the book. Um, so it wasn't even a monthly when you got a month when you got a, a run on a book, you weren't even putting out an issue, 12 issues a, a year. Yeah, it was I mean, often, it's, it's crazy. Less it, than that. It's crazy to think about that when he started writing well, it wasn't called Uncanny X-Men at the time, but the book that would be titled Uncanny X-Men, it was every other month and it was 17 pages every other month. So. That's why he was writing Iron Fist and Marvel Team Up, and he took on, uh, you know, he took on Ms. Marvel, and I, I'm not even sure what else he was writing. I just know that, you know, he was writing like four or five books a month, which is funny because even later in his career, when certainly, you know, he wasn't as hung up on page counts, he was still writing like Uncanny X-Men and Excalibur and Wolverine and, I don't know, probably something else I'm not thinking of. So, you know, it, the, uh, the workload never seemed to be a problem for him. Yeah. Um, but, and something I sh should note is Captain Marvel has never had a successful book. None of them. I, other than, I think Genis ran, had the longest run. Marvel was canceled repeatedly throughout right. the 70s. And then they'd have a Thanos war. And everyone's like, oh, he's a great character. So they bring the book back 
pick up the numbering where it left off, which is what they used to do that uh, back in the day instead of a new number one like they always do now. Right. And repeatedly he was canceled. Carol Danvers' longest run she had was um, well, Ms. volume Mar- the volume two of Ms. Marvel ran fifty issues. Okay, yeah. And I th- that's the one that I actually I did not reread that by the way when I just read all these books because I read that and bought it when it came out. Oh, I see. It was an okay book, but that ran 50 issues. These current ones that get a lot of publicity since they kind of, they give her the new costume and all that stuff, they keep getting canceled. It hasn't run past like 17 issues. And each each, each succeeding volume uh, is less so. So Captain Marvel just doesn't make it as a solo character by and large. But back to your original question is why doesn't why didn't she work in Avengers? I honestly think they just didn't know what to do with her. Yeah. She's, they, she's the Marvels, the Captain Marvels are always very powerful. And Marvel, the original Marvel, should have been Marvel's ans- Marvel Comics' answer to Superman, and he wasn't. It's they just didn't know what to do with him, and I don't know if they thought it was going to overshadow some of the other heroes, or I, I, I can't explain why. Look, they're a company. If they if it would have took, they should have. They would have. You think they would have had the foresight to push the character, promote him heavily, which they didn't. And, and make some money off of them like everything else because it's a business. They, for whatever reason, they didn't do it. Then she comes along. He's, his book was canceled. Eh, it still ran for a while. I shouldn't say that. I think it ran while she was in uh, Avengers. His solo book was still going on. He was spending most of his time out in space. Um, but it's like they, it seems like they just didn't know what to do with her. And when they wrote her out, <laughs> it was such an insane story. It's it's shocking what they did with her. It's terrible what they did with her. Yeah, and, I know you discussed and, that. And right? as I discussed that with, uh, you heard you talk about it with Claremont. I yeah, watched when, the video when I talked about it with uh, with Claremont. Uh, it, it, it's just this sort of thing. Like no one will own up to writing that story. Like Jim Shooter gets a gets a writing credit on it, which is not something that usually happened. You know, he was the editor in chief, and he's. He's got the right take on it. And I was like, yeah, I don't remember uh, writing that. I mean, maybe, maybe I did. I don't know. Ask, ask Jim Salakrup. He'll tell you if I wrote it or not. You know, so yeah, he's, he's, Jim, he's constantly Jim. passing the buck on, you know, who's responsible for that part of the story. Did you ever hear, you know, Jim Shooter's backstory, right? Oh, that he started writing for DC when he was like 12 or something. Yeah, he's like 12, 13. Yeah. The guy's basically a prodigy with a mind like a trap. Yeah. I, I, he, he knows whether or not he wrote that story. Yeah. I, he, I don't believe him for a second when he because he doesn't want to be the guy who had the, the weird pseudo-rape story or whatever. I don't know how you want to refer to it. It was so yeah, bizarre. I mean, it, it's, it's been written as the, you know, I, I referenced, a, it was an essay that circulated a lot, you know, pre-internet, obviously in those days. There was, there was a like a fanzine that had like a cover story called the rape of Ms. Marvel. And however you want to characterize it, it was like, you know, this guy Marcus is like, yeah, so I mind controlled her and she loves me now. And everybody's like, great, have fun, Carol. Nice knowing you. Oh my God, there's a baby. And you're just like, what? Like, you know, you could understand like, you know, Hawkeye being tone deaf to that, you know, he's a man's man. (laughs) He can't be bothered. But, but, uh, and as I mentioned to Claremont, both, both Scarlet Witch, both Wanda and Janet, the Scarlet Witch and the Wasp were like, no, oh, a baby, you know, and it's like, what? So, yeah, I and that was the real reason that I wanted to talk to Claremont about Carol Danvers, because, yes, he wrote her solo book. And then after that happens, you know, I think that, uh, you know, the higher ups were like, OK, well, we've we've turned the page on that character. Literally, we never have to see her again. And then 
he writes this amazing story for Avengers Annual number 10, which I did read again for the first time in like 20 plus years, the day before I talked to him. And Avengers Annual number 10 is great because it's not really an Avengers story. The first 10 pages, it's a Spider-Woman story. Then it's an yeah. X-Men story. And it's overall, it's a Carol Danvers story that happens to include some Avengers in it, you know, with some uh, pretty incredible artwork from Michael Golden early in his career. But yeah, there's just this showdown where she's basically saying like, you know, my biggest mistake was that I trusted you. And she's saying it to the Avengers. But really, you know, she's saying it to Jim Shooter. She's saying, yeah, yeah, yeah we trusted you. You know, we trusted you to look out for yeah. me. And and then, you know, Claremont really, like, he took her and made sure to write her into the X-Men so that nobody else, you know, I mean, she was, she became binary. She's on the Starjammers and, you know, you don't see her that much, but nobody else was using her. And I just thought it was interesting that he kind of rescues this character, makes her super powerful, lets her go out and be a part of the cosmos and, you know, then promptly leaves Marvel and then, you know, I think even if he was still there, there might have been interest in doing something with the character again. But because he was gone, everybody's like, yeah, what are we what are we going to do with Carol Danvers? You know, so uh, that's why I thought it was a fun conversation. Plus, also, like I, I've that was the third conversation I've had. You know, first interview I've had with Claremont and it's usually about the X-Men. So I just thought it would be interesting to talk to him about something else. You know, I'd love to talk to him about Iron Fist at some point. You know, oh, I, mean, yeah, it was, I, I was hoping I was hoping you get that chance, too. That's he, another one. Yeah. I mean, he did it in Iron Fist. He obviously did it in the X-Men. And then he did it with Carol Danvers by, um, you know, having her come over to the X-Men, getting her binary powers, throwing her in with the Star Jammers. I sort of after I've been reading a lot of stuff now from the 70s, obviously. Honestly, I think after Stan Lee, he might be my all time favorite comic book writer. That guy. Again, Stan is really the guy who made a universe. Yeah. I mean, cameos, people know each other in different books and crossovers and all that stuff. He, He was he was a master at that. And he and Kirby and Ditko and his and his guys created this universe. I think Claire, Claremont really is the next generation guy to take it and run with it. No, yeah, but I mean, it's the it's the foundation of foundation of Stan, Jack, and and Steve Ditko, and you know obviously everyone else involved from the early years and a little bit after. But yeah, he just sort of really built this thing on it. And uh, you know, I've I've said this uh, before. I'm fairly sure that the most words I've ever read by a writer were written by Chris Claremont because of all the different books that he wrote. I've I've read novels that he's written, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. You know, Stan Lee is the only one who might come close. But, you know, Stan also, you know, I mean, by the time the 70s rolled around, Stan wasn't really writing that much anymore, yeah. you know, and the majority of what I've read are from the 70s onward. And uh, obviously, I mean, I started collecting comics eh, right about 1983. Anyway, so, yeah, it's uh, it's sort of interesting to kind of look at it in these contexts and, you know, look, to have the excuse to reread uh, some of these stories. I mean. I, I had to really skim it, but I reread uh, Uncanny X-Men 164 because I wanted to read, you know, about Carol having these binary powers after the the brood like experimented on her. But what I really wanted to do was just go back and read all of that whole brood storyline. But, uh, sure. you know, I just didn't have the time. I, I would have loved to have. So, well, uh, no, nobody was able to take characters and crossbreed them like Claremont. I think yeah. it, and it's again, Stan, Stan may have pioneered that to a yeah. certain degree. But Claremont, I think, mastered it. Where he took Iron F- Iron Fist was not good, like right out of the gate. Yeah, it's very flat, and he's a monolithic character. And I've, it was only a couple issues in, not 
too unlike Ms. Marvel, where it might have been maybe issue six or seven, where Claremont took over and he starts fleshing out the characters. And then you realize, you find out, well, Misty Knight is now sharing a flat with Jean Grey of the X-Men. So you kind of visit over there. Then, like you said, he, he has Ms. Marvel. Ms. Marvel goes over. They take her to Professor X. Professor X, because she lost her memory, which has happened repeatedly. Yeah. Helps her with her memories. Then she's hanging out with the X-Men. Then she meets a star. And he just, he really binds the universe together in such a readable way that it's just, you don't, you can't find that today anymore, man. Now everything just feels like they're doing it to get you to buy somebody else's book. You know what I mean? Right. There, I mean, his they, felt organic. It was driven by the story. That's exactly what I was going to say, because, you know, like the first like big crossovers weren't bad. It's just when it turned into like, all right, every summer we're going to have a crossover now. You know, so like when you have the mutant massacre, that's actually really cool. You know, follow the mutants. Uh, all right. But then when you're getting to things like executioner song and, you know, all these big events that. You know, it was, and I think Peter David's even talked about this when he was writing X Factor. It was infuriating to him because he would be developing these really intricate stories, and they're like, "All right, just so you know, with like you know the June through September issues are going to be part of a big crossover event, so you're going to have to completely abandon what you're doing." You know, so uh, yeah, it's, and I don't know. I mean, I like to think now after the Disney Fox deal that we're going to get some of that nice kind of cross pollination. You know, not in the next couple of years, but there'll be a point where you feel like, yeah, these movies are interconnected. The, they did a great job with the MCU, the movies that are part of Marvel Studios, and then being able to weave in Spider-Man the last couple of years. But, you know, the fact that we've never had the FF, that we haven't had any of the X-Men, just the idea that you could get that same feeling, you know? Yeah. You know, just reading like, a, like an X-Men story that just happened to have Spider-Man in it will... They didn't do it because they were trying to sell more copies. They were going to sell just as many copies, you know, and I liked when it just naturally seemed to make sense in the course of, of a story, you know, like uh, I mentioned this uh, one of the times I talked to Chris Claremont. There would be crossovers with like the book Power Pack that I liked because I was a little kid. And then sometimes like those characters would just appear in the Uncanny X-Men because it made sense. It was like a good, it was a good interaction that Wolverine had. He always had a great interaction with kids. And, you know, there's this like father figure sort of notion for him. Uh, you're not doing it gener- based on trying to generate sales, which, you know, I mean, I haven't read comics regularly until the last year or so, and it's it's really a handful. But I, I, w- I was out most of the 21st century because I just felt like the focus was on sales and I'm not an idiot. I know there, that was always important, but yeah. you felt like it was at the expense of the story, you know? And e- even now, sometimes I'll, I'll read stuff on Marvel unlimited and I'm just like, sometimes the artwork is awful. You know, there's great artists working today, but they're just like, I don't know. Do they just not put the same level of care into it? So uh, I don't know. I don't quite know how we got down this rabbit hole, but I'm glad we did. So am I. <laughs> but uh, are you reading anything right now? I mean, maybe then doesn't you maybe not the month that comes out, but anything current? I'm not. Well, eh, technically, I don't read any superhero comics anymore from Marvel or DC. Right. I dropped, you know, DC. I got every time I say this, I got to add a year like what, seven years ago or whenever they, right. they did the new 52. Sure. And truth be told, I wanted to get out because of money. I was the insane amount of money. I was at, at my peak. I was spending. I remember I clocked it at about a hundred and sixty some bucks a month on new comics. Right. Yeah. This is over a decade ago. I said this is insane. 
I, ca- I can't do this. So when they, I got an opportunity when they ended my era, so to speak, with New 52 and they restarted their universe, I, I tried a couple new ones. I'm like, yeah, okay, I don't need to get into this. And I, I left. When Marvel um, ran out of ideas and they, they did their Secret War rehash yeah. and they basically did their crisis on Infinite Earths, I did this. I wasn't reading a lot at the time anyway, but I officially just got out then. I said, yeah. okay, I'm going to get out. Um, and now I have decades still from this night, you know, 1960, what is it? Two. Yeah. When was FF number one? In um, 1961. In the 61 through, you know, secret war to read, to fill in all those blanks. And when I was reading these Ms. Ms. Marvel slash Captain Marvels, I crossed that meridian into the new stuff. Yeah. And to be honest, I got, I felt kind of lost because I'm like, I don't know what's going on in this universe anymore. So, and then I just. I got to a point where I said I was going to get, and then I just stopped. Maybe I'll come back and read some of them later, but now I'm going to go back to the old stuff where I, my next round of reading. But as far as new books, uh, I read, a, I used to read a couple independent things from that. Right. Well, they're no longer independents, but companies like dynamite and boom and IDW, um, an image and everything. I, I realized everything I was reading though, and I'm still kind of collecting. They're all tied to film or television properties, star Wars, uh, Darth Vader, the companion Star Wars book, and I'm going to be dropping those soon. Uh, Big Trouble in Little China had a comic. They've done on and off Escape from New York comics. I have two or three James Bond titles I get, Planet of the Apes. It's They're literally tied to some other medium. But as those kind of tick down, I'm basically just kind of ending all of them. Yeah. And by the way, have you discussed at all the heavy talk the last couple of weeks? I know it's been going on and off for the last couple of years, but it really ticked up about two weeks ago. The heavy talk about Marvel uh, Disney ending Marvel comics and just not publishing them anymore and just shopping them out to other publishers. I've I've read some of that and I feel like it's, uh, largely some of it's clickbait. And I think some of it is, you know, Marvel being self-serving because I think if people start to hear that and they're like, Oh wait, what's, what's going on? I mean, I know that for a while, uh, they've been sort of operating the comic book arm at a little bit of a loss just to help generate stories for movies that make a billion dollars. So uh, I I have heard that. I don't know how much credit to give it to because it's some of those are the same websites that said that the Dark Phoenix movie wasn't going to come out. And they might be right about New Mutants, but I, I, the, the, on like the, the first day I ever saw anything, they're like, no, that Dark Phoenix movie will come out. You know, a lot of money was spent on it. You've got movie stars in it. And also, you know, it's, uh, also, even if it's terrible, it's going to make a ton of money overseas. You know, I mean, look at all those Michael Bay transformer movies, you know, they, they make so much money overseas. It doesn't even matter. You know, the, the, the stories don't make sense. So I'll be interested to see if that happens. Uh, I started rereading the fantastic four because they started over with a number one and they had been gone for a long time. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm kind of, I'm, I'm definitely interested in it. And they did Amazing Spider-Man. I wanted to read Amazing Spider-Man number 800 just because it was a like it was a huge, you know, big number. I'm like, let me read that. And then they started with number one again. I'm like, oh, let me buy some of those. And then, I, don't know, I think I got like 12 or so. So, you know, it's like it's interesting. And uh, I feel like if if my son was a little older and uh, interested in reading, I think that would probably be more fun. But at the same time, he doesn't need 
you know, hard paper, actual physical books, he's going to want to read it like on the iPad anyway. So, sure. Uh, and, uh, you know, I mean, I'm finding uh, Marvel Unlimited to actually be pretty great for stuff like that. They, you know, they sent out an, an email to anybody who was signed up for it after the Captain Marvel movie came out. It's like, hey, maybe you want to read some uh, Carol Danvers stuff. And I'm like, sure, I'll do that. And it had the whole run of Ms. Marvel, but it was also some of the more recent books, which I had not read at all, you know, and it, some of them just like dealing with her family and her backstory. And uh, quite honestly, a lot of the stuff that was completely absent from the movie. Uh, and yeah. because you haven't heard uh, the podcast lately, that was my wife's biggest problem with the movie version of Carol Danvers, whom is now Captain Marvel, was that she just didn't feel any connection to her. And they <clears> just <throat> felt like if they had just done a little bit, you know, she's like, just one scene, something. And I think she kind of nailed what it is. You'd think she was a writer or something. You know, there's a really like almost like just an instant where like her dad's yelling at her and she's like, yeah, just more of that. Maybe transpose it with Jude Law's character, you know, that he was kind of a father figure and her father was an a-hole like we know from the book, you know, and, and she's like, that's kind of all I needed. And I was like, yeah, but the movie was two hours and five minutes. And she's like, well... It could have been a little longer then, I guess, you know? So I don't know. Um, I think that it'll be interesting if we get more, uh, you know, character building for Carol. Because in the movie, she doesn't remember. And even at the end of the movie, she doesn't really remember that much, you know? Because yeah. Professor X wasn't there to help her with her memories. That's really the problem. So... Um, but you know, I guess, uh, and, and we can go back to talking about comics, but just to transition to that, I wanted to kind of get your overall thoughts on the movie again, the, the pros, the cons, just sort of overall what you thought, you know, having done all of this homework heading into it, uh, were you, were you excited or were you cautiously optimistic? How were you approaching this movie? Well, I, I'd been excited, obviously when they said they were going to do it. When they started showing the trailers, I got less excited because the trailers, I think most people agree, were not great because they didn't tell you at all what the story was about. No. All you saw was kind of images of her shooting beams and some flying, some punching, you know what I mean? Yeah. And Sam Jackson. Right. Um, so, I mean, it, I knew it got to be, it, it, it was going to be not, I knew I wasn't probably going to be thrilled with what, what they were going to do, but watching your interview with Claremont, um, really kind of hit me to the finally where I'm like, you know what? I got to understand in my own brain, there are two separate universes now. There's the comic universe and the film universe. Now, I've always known that, but for the most part, they seem to get it really good. You know I mean, they're pretty close. Yeah. You know, for me, the moment was when Hawkeye had a wife that wasn't Mockingbird and then Mockingbird turns up on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I'm like, oh, OK, so they just yeah. they just don't give a shit. And like well, I'd always been kind of hoping for Hawkeye and Mockingbird. And and then I'm like, OK, so we're just not going to have that. They they decided he should just have, uh, you know, a civilian family. Uh, well, OK, the thing is that I believe and I didn't read it. That's from the ultimate universe. Oh, I see. Just like just like Sam Jackson, Nick Fury. Right. So even those those things make me go, oh, why do they do this? Yeah. I'm like, well, technically it is from a comic. Yeah. It's not from the original Marvel Universe. So I heard, yeah, I heard that's the same with Hawkeye's family is that was from, I, I believed, I could be wrong, but I thought I read that that's from the Ultimate Universe and that's why they did it. I didn't like it either. Yeah. So I'm like, well, Mo Mockingbird's right over there on that TV show. Yeah. Uh, and I but, think, I think it's easy for Claremont to do because he's probably already got to separate in his head. Well, there's the universe that I created and then there's, you know, 
Jim Lee and everybody, you know, messed up my universe. And then I went back and tried to fix it. And then they messed it up again. So I think he has a universe in his head and then other stories happen in some kind of alternate universe. So I think he's able to watch the movies in a very detached way. Uh, you know, I, and, and that's what I try to do. Cause you know, look for really until the past year, I mean, I wasn't reading any new comics. So like, this was all just, this was just all the new content for me. And I'm like, great. There's you know 21 movies. That's plenty. You know, I don't, I, I don't need more. Yeah. Um, but, uh, no, so there's all this, I was excited initially when the movie's going to come out. Then like a week or two before they dredge up this statement of Brie Larson's, you know, a year ago when she was talking about a wrinkle in time about, we don't need more white dude, 40 year old reviewers and all that stuff. And that shit exploded. Right. And then you have, then you have these guys wantonly pro, wanting to protest the film, which, Hey, dummies, it's in the MCU. It's going to do fine. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't, you know, and by the way, did you hear Disney is, is buying out theaters? <laughs> did you hear that one? I, I heard that. And I, and I was just trying to, and uh, you know, somebody that I know well enough uh, on Facebook, I was just, I, I was just like, look, I don't want to get into a whole thing, but I did research just to make sure that I was right. It's the 10th highest grossing uh, superhero movie. I almost said comic book movie, but it's the 10th highest grossing superhero movie. So it, as we're talking right now, it, it surpassed Thor Ragnarok, Venom, and Spider-Man Homecoming. And I will say two of those movies are, are much better than Captain Marvel, and the other one is Venom. And, uh, oh, but, wow. and I didn't hate Venom anyway. I thought Venom was fun. I didn't see it. Uh, it's fun if you like the character and you can deal with there not being a connection to Spider-Man, which I can't, yeah, I, I can't know, deal with that. I, I, I know it, believe me, it, uh, it was nuts. It is nuts, but, uh, it's a fun ride if you just take it at face value. And, uh, so yeah, so like the, the narrative didn't change, you know, when the movie started to make money, it was like, well, it's making money because Disney's spending money to make money. I'm like, well, you know, you do a little of that. But if you did that, you wouldn't be getting close to a billion dollars at the box office. You know, you can fake it. You can game the system a little bit, but you can't have that kind of return. And sure, some of that is is overseas. And, you know, because they're basically this conversation started is like, oh, I guess movie sh theaters are showing Shazam early because uh, Captain Marvel died. I'm like, no, they did it with Aquaman. They they do it all the time with movies that they come out. You can see them for one night a couple weeks early. Well, and, the, the, the strangeness of and, and look, there are some supposedly theater owners who are saying like, yeah, we sold out. But then like 100 people don't show up. And that's what started this. Right. I'm like, OK, let's say that happened. Has anybody ever analyzed to see if that has happened with other films? Right. Maybe they bought out a theater for a group of people and there was a snowstorm. Yeah. You know, who knows? There's there's reasons people don't go. But the idea that Disney is buying their own tickets is it's look, it's not Scientology. Right. They're not, they're not <laughs> buying copies of Dianetics to force it to go up the New York Times bestseller list. It's just it's stupid. No, but, but you know, they should have bought out theaters for Battlefield Earth. I mean, if they were really that motivated, they should have made sure that Battlefield Earth was a number one movie if they if they wanted <laughs> exactly. to. Exactly. That's what they should have done it for. Uh, but yeah, so it's just it, so that it's gotten so crazy. Yeah, the politics and, and, and around it's like this you movie. just and you can't you can't convince anybody that that they're wrong. It's like they've bought into a certain narrative. And it's like, I don't care that people don't like the movie. I like if you see the movie and you don't like it, hey, that's an opinion you're supposed to have that way. Don't be afraid to say you don't like it. But 
at the same time, don't be like, oh, I didn't, I, you know, oh, that, that trailer looks bad. I know the movie's bad. You might be right, yeah. but you don't know. And then the idea that like, oh, this one wrote a favorable review. Hmm, how much did Disney pay you to do that? Uh, but of course, what I always say is if Disney wants to pay me to write favorable reviews, I would be happy to do it. I, it you know, I, I have no problem doing it. Uh, I just don't think that this was a case where it happened. So, yeah, the whole movie gets swept up into that because that, you know, and yeah, Brie Larson's comments weren't about this movie. And I saw Wrinkle in Time. It wasn't great, but I watched it in a way of where I'm like, you know, a kid's probably going to like this, you know, uh, and uh, sometimes that's enough. You know, I didn't even remember her being in the movie. That's the funny thing. But anyway, <laughs> that's how I felt about her and Captain Marvel. I don't remember her being in the movie. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> Sadly enough. No, I'm kidding. But um, yeah, so you had all this hubbub leading into it. So then I finally saw the movie and I actually went with a friend and his little kids. Now, his kids liked it. OK, sure. They're little kids. And that's I'm like, good. You know, his daughter and he had a daughter and a son. They liked it. Good. That's good for them. I didn't like it. But I have two not like it. I have the movie. I don't like it as, in itself. And then there's the comic fan. And it does, admittedly, it, it's hard to separate what I know from the comics from what I'm seeing on screen sometimes. So it, it, and it, this was a really difficult one with that because sure. I just got done reading over 200 comic books. <laughs> right. And I'm watching a two-hour movie, which is a barely a cliff notes of some of that stuff. Yeah. The weird, you know, permutations of them. So it was weird. But no, overall, I didn't like it. For me, it's the first bad MCU film. Um, for and let, let me talk about what I, I thought was good first. Yeah, and some of these are criticisms I've heard from other people. Um, I didn't think it was boring, and I've heard a lot of people say they thought. Even people who liked the movie in my, general thought, "Well, it's really slow in the middle." Yeah. I didn't think so. I didn't think it was slow at all. No, my wife thought it was boring. So oh, see, so, so she's one of them. Yeah, she she thought it was boring, and it's partially because she didn't feel connected to Carol, and she spent a lot of the time sitting there in her head trying to fix the movie. You know, she's like, well, how would I have made it work better? You know, so oh, I, did, I did plenty of that. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> right. But but at the same time, um, and maybe and maybe this is just because I'm such a homer with the MCU. I'm constantly paying attention because I'm always looking for little references in the back of my head. To, you know, things in the comic. Oh, that character and that side thing. And that the name of that book is really a reference to this. You know what I mean? Right, when you sure. see things. So I wasn't bored at all. I thought uh, some people criticize the use of the of the nonstop use of pop and rock music. I thought it was great because it was all good music. Yeah. I, I like, I was very, I, like, I love that soundtrack, you know? And, and it's like, it's different than the guardian soundtrack. Cause it's like, well, it was in the nineties. And uh, yeah, I, I, I hadn't heard that criticism because most movies are done that way. You know, I well, mean, the, the thing is they were criticizing it in re, in regards, in reference to guardians and particularly garden guardians Two. Volume two that the music felt really kind of forced. Yeah, that's that it's was like, oh look, look, it's look, they're they're breaking up their friendship, but they're playing Fleetwood Max the Chain, which is about like people being linked. <laughs> Do you get it? You know, and like, you know, the yeah. whole I'm just a girl sequence was like that, but worse. But I'll so what? I'll spot them that one for the rest of it was cool. I had no problem yeah. with it. Yeah, I thought that the, the it was a good use of music, and uh, you know, I mean, I think that Guardians won it was completely unexpected and it just was so well incorporated. And then, you know, yeah, guardians too. I, that was really my thought too, is that it, the music felt uh, really forced in general. I thought that the, that this was, uh, this was fun. I mean, it, 
it had a karaoke scene with Lita Ford's Kiss Me Deadly, which is what people have already heard intro this episode because uh, I was uh, I, I was saving that for my conversation with you, the Lita Ford song, because uh, I was. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I I understand all of the, uh, the the shortcomings of the film. And, you know, I saw it twice because I, I went to a press screening. Then I went with my wife. And uh, I I was not any less I was not any I was just as entertained as I was the first time knowing where it was going and kind of being able to watch it. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, it's it's not great. I mean, I you know, I, I, I know you and I have a difference of opinion in the Thor movies, but uh, uh, it, to me, it's, it's don't don't do it. Don't you still, go there. I'm just saying, don't you don't you shit on Dark World. I'm just saying it's still not the worst <laughs> one for me, you know. And then, yeah, if you start if you start factoring in movies that are not part of the MCU, but if you bring in all the Spider Man and all the X Men movies, oh, it's different. Yeah, 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 no, no, it's it. You know, compare this to X Men Origins Wolverine. You know, and uh, you know, all of a all of a sudden, this is the Godfather. You know, but uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so. Uh, so no, those, so, are, those yeah, are things so I like that the, didn't bother you, fine. but were there moments where you're like, okay, I have to admit that was really cool, anything like that? One little detail I liked, and a lot of people are shitting on how how much – well, we got to go back. This film was forced. This was not originally supposed to be leading into an Infinity Endgame or whatever, Avengers Endgame. Right. And I think that to me was one of the root problems. It felt like it. They were so desperate to tie this in and make it relevant – to Avengers Endgame, they're like, oh look, and and oh Nick Fury, you know how he lost his eye? It was from her cat. Yeah. And you know what they, they're why they're called Avengers? Because Avenger. And by the way, the Avenger thing, I actually thought that was cool. Well, wow, he got it off her plane. Yeah, that's like my that's probably my least favorite thing in the whole movie. But see, uh, I like that. Claire, one. I Claremont like liked cat. it too. So what do I know? You know, <laughs> I didn't like the cat thing. I thought was stupid because he was buddies with the cat the whole movie. Yeah. There's no reason for it to scratch him other than the fact that so they could say, oh, he lost his eye because of the. Flurkin or yeah. whatever it's called, the you know, the kitty yeah. cat. Yeah, exactly. Um, but no, I just, like I said, there was nothing I really dug much. Yeah. I, I didn't like, I think Brie Larson for all the shit she takes. And I think a lot of it she brings on herself. I think she is drop dead gorgeous. I think she is stunningly beautiful in a lot of things I've seen her in, including parts of this. Yeah. But so she, I thought she looked great. I thought the costume was cool, but I didn't buy her. Well, kind of like Heather said, she felt no connection to her because she didn't get much backstory. Right. I felt no, much, not much connection to her because I didn't. It seemed at times like she was just posing to me. I didn't. I didn't buy her performance. It was a lot of mugging and trying to look tough and trying to pose like what she thinks a superhero would pose like. And some of that is supposed to be because at this point in her life, you know, she's kind of this cold military character. But even by the end of it, I didn't get you know other than her smiling once or twice at the at. Monica Rambeau, which was awesome. Yeah, that. Uh, yeah, that. But see, I didn't know she was in this movie, and I guess some I people did. did. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, when they say her mom's last name, I'm like, oh no, really? And I, so I was really like, legitimately excited, probably more than anything else in the movie, because again, sort of talking about the period in time when I started reading comics, that uh, Monica Rambeau was the was Captain Marvel. She was on the Avengers. She ended up being the leader of the Avengers. And uh, so that's a, one of those characters that's always been near and dear to my heart. And uh, I thought just when we physically see little Monica, I'm like, oh, yeah. All right. So we're getting that at some 
point, you know, figuring that this movie's, I don't know, set 20 some odd years before the current timeline or I don't know how they break it down. So it's like, great. So in another movie, she'll be Captain Marvel or she'll be, I forget what her other character name is. There's, well, she went from Captain Marvel Photon, and yeah. she's not even Photon anymore. Oh, she's, she's something not. else. Photon the was the one I was thinking of, but yeah, uh, that's true. I think that was the longest during kind of our era when we were reading comics, right? You know, younger. But she's something else now, and I can't even remember what it is. Yeah, well, and she basically has kind of the same color scheme, but she wears more of like a trench coaty thing. I know she still looks cool. Yeah. So uh, yeah. So stuff like that, I liked. Uh, I thought that uh, the. Uh, buddy cop aspect of it where it's Carol and Fury on a road trip. Uh, I'm like, yeah, I like watching them banter. That's fun for me. To me, that's the character stuff that I liked. And that's not enough for some people. Uh, and sure. I don't know. I look, I understand all the criticism, but I walked out of the theater both times. I'm like, I still had fun. And that's all I look for. Uh, obviously I think if at the end of end game, if all I can say is like, Oh, that was fun. Uh, that'll be a letdown because everything's building up to that point, you know? So, uh, yeah, I think that, and by the way, you know, obviously I, 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 I was talking about Thor dark world. I remember when I saw it in the theater, I was like, Oh, it's, I like the first one better, but it's not like I hated it. You know, I don't think well, I, see, I should watch it again. Cause everybody picks it as their least one. I'm like, that's my favorite Thor movie. Well, I got to see like the nine realms and yeah. I thought they fighting it, but it's like, I should really go back and that's like winter soldier. I loved winter soldier. I'm shocked how many I know Will does Sterling. Yeah. How many people pick that as their favorite? Yeah, over Civil War, over Avengers. So I should go back and watch it again because it's been a couple years. Yeah, I haven't seen it in a while. I mean, for me, my favorite is still First Avenger, just because me too. It, it's, it, it's. Oh no, I take that back. My favorite's Avenger, the first, the first, the Avengers first Avengers. Movie. That's yeah, but yeah. that's that's another great one. I just I just love that as a movie that happens to involve a superhero element. You know, it's it's it hap it's a World War II movie that happens to have a a, a superhero element, and I think that that's you know, one of the best made ones that they've done. And, uh, you know, I look again, people who saw the movie and didn't like it, uh, that's fine. But plenty of people are at, at least like it enough, you know, and, uh, I, well, I it's know. another chapter of a bigger story. Yeah, exactly. Look, they're, they're not, they're not all going to be, they're not all going to be the Avengers. They're not going to be cap, you know, Captain America, number one or two they're, You're going to have lesser ones for me. This was not a good one, but right. all right, now we're on to the next one. The, I, I get, and you know, there's other things I didn't like about it. I my biggest thing was that they erased Marvel as he is in the comics from, from history in the films. He wasn't even in there, and they're actually kind of doing it in the comics. I found out the more I'm reading. Oh, uh, so which my, that ticks me off. So, and I, I mentioned it in passing to uh, to Chris Claremont, and then also a few weeks ago here on the Blackcast, had they had Annette Benning be. Marvel, and then there was this backstory of like you know, well, actually, you know, it is Marvel as a superpowered uh, character, and she's got some adventures. Maybe we'll tell you about them one day. But instead, she's just a scientist that happens to have the name, and so that's the part that bothers me. Is you know, uh, I, I don't know. I mean, I think you know, we live in the age where you know, uh, Starbuck and Battlestar Galactica is a woman. Like ever since that happened, you just know that you're going to get that sometimes. And sometimes it works really well. And sometimes it doesn't. And so it, at face value, it didn't bother me, but I'm like, so wait, she's just a scientist. 
and it has that name. And I don't even have like a strong connection to the character. I just felt like, well, that's a missed opportunity. I think that's uh, disrespectful to, you know, his, his legacy. And uh, I don't know. I mean, did it bother you more on a fundamental level that uh, oh, that's very, it bothered me. Yes. On every level, by the way, I saw, and um, I was listening to the guys at Collider where, where your friend, friend of show, friend of show Roxy. Yes. Uh, Stryer's she, on. she was on this show last week. They said that was a last-minute decision to make her Marvel. I did read that. that. I've read that since I saw the movie. Yeah. Here's here's why. Yes, like you said, I think it's it's kind of it's disrespectful to the legacy of what what became a very important character. And like you said, he's still like the precipice of keep him dead. They've pulled him out of time a couple times, but he's never truly come back from the dead. And a lot of I sent you an article. I don't know if you got a chance to read it on why that's significant. The death of Captain Marvel. Oh, I did read and, that. Yeah. And how out of respect, a lot of writers say, OK, maybe every 10 years you can bring him out. But you got he's got to stay dead. We can't bring him back permanently because that was such an important and poignant story. Here's why after thinking about this, this really bothered me. And it kind of ties into all the hubbub politics around this film is um, when Kelly Sue DeConnick brought the character back and named Carol Danvers, gave her the title of Captain Marvel. She finally took it from Ms. Marvel. It suddenly became like this big, like contemporary feminist character. Not like it used to be. It was a, it was a feminist character back in the 70s. Well, yeah, but that sure. was, I mean, by naming her Ms. Marvel, yes, you were trying to have that approach. But then if you read the book, there's like, you know, there's nothing that really felt that way. You know what I no. mean? It, it, but it, now, yeah. now we're talking about contemporary or third wave intersectional feminism. It ain't the same thing. It's very political, um, kind of the old stereotype of, well, feminists are just a bunch of man-hating lesbians. No, but there is seems to be a lot of that whenever third-wave feminism comes into view. Now, the current books aren't heavy on that. They touch on it a little bit. They kind of shit on men a lot. Side characters are kind of, men are oafish and they need to be saved. And they suddenly retcon some old female characters. Suddenly they're lesbians, stuff like that. But what's interesting is leading up to this film, I read Kelly Sudeconic's first run, and right out of the gate, someone asks her about Marvell and says, "Well, weren't you in love with him?" And Carol says, "No, well, it's not like that. It was it was complicated." Well, no, she was in love with him because I read those comics. So they kind of changed that. Hmm. Then they read this last year. They did an issue. Uh, they did a miniseries called "The Life of Captain Marvel." Yeah, I actually started reading that. That, that I read. I think just the first one so far. Uh, yeah. Well, I, well, I'll should I give you a little spoiler? That's fine. Yeah, because I, I mean, I'll get to it eventually. But uh, I was, the, yeah, I was just more interested in kind of reading a, cur- a semi-current the, book. Yeah. Okay. In the original comics, um, Jan Rog, Marvel's original arch enemy, sure, who played, yeah. was played by Jude Law, who, by the way, I thought gave the best performance in the movie, actually. Yeah, you know, it's a great point. He he is good. You know, he does a good job uh, with the with the character. He's, yeah, he's kind of reached that age as an actor and that point in his career where he's kind of good in whatever he's in. I just buy it. Yeah, I, I, I just dig you. Jude Law. I think he's just got that face, like man. I'm like, yeah, he's a bad guy. I believe it. <laughs> right. But in the comics, he kidnaps Carol, and in this old Cree base on Earth, and Marvel uh, fights him and. and Yon Rog ends up dying, and this machine called the Psyche or Psyche Magnetron mm-hmm. explodes as Marvel is carrying Carol out of this cave. And later, when they created Ms. Marvel, they went back to this. That was a that was a Captain Marvel story, Marvel. They they used that as the seed to say, well, what happened is 
when that explosion happened, the radiation from the machine passed through Marvel into Carol Danvers as he carried her and merged her human DNA with his Creed DNA. And that's how she got her powers. Right. Well, this life of Captain Marvel from last year says, well, you know what it really was? Carol's, mo- Carol's mother all this time was actually a Cree warrior. We didn't know that. And that, that explosion had nothing to do with Marvel. It really, she didn't get his powers. It just activated her dormant powers in her half Cree body. Mm. So they've already stripped her of, of Marvel's importance. By making Marvel a woman in this film, not only have they erased his legacy from history, but, and this is where you get back to this third wave feminism stuff. She has not a single positive male influence in her entire life now in the MCU. Every man was an asshole who told her she couldn't, who held her down, who sexually harassed her. And then you get into her relationship with Maria Rambeau, which a lot of people are saying, and my friend's daughter goes, are they lesbians? This kid, she's like 15. I was, oh, okay. See, I pictured like a, a really young kid. You know, it's funny because- uh, There was the, no reference to a father for, the, right, for, well, for Monica, a husband to Maria. Sure. And, and sure enough, well, Brie Larson apparently said she wants, they're making her a lesbian slowly in the comics. You watch, if they're around two, three years, she'll be a lesbian. That's well, intersectional feminism. And, and here's the thing about that is that uh, one of the shows that I am one of the hosts on is a show called Marvel Movie News, which is actually different than the show I was on with Claremont, which is Marvel TV Weekly. But anyway, which is called, which is called News for Marvel. it's completely different it's funny because actually that show was originally going to be called marvel tv news but uh, then it turned into marvel tv weekly just to differentiate a little bit i wasn't on both shows at that point but anyway and we had a a guest on that show and she sort of talked about all that i'm like well man i am just a big dumb idiot because i didn't pick up on any of that and i kind of get it and this uh this she was very excited about the idea that it was kind of there because that's a story that interested her and i'm like okay i didn't see it that way and you know i've asked other people if they felt like that was there i think if you want it to be there it's there uh and i i don't know i didn't really feel like it was there but yeah you're right because they don't uh, address any of the other questions you know i mean i just assume that yeah sure uh monica has a dad but we don't need to get to know him so and and, and don't get me wrong i think that is the case of the film yeah but when you add up all these other things like you said it can be perceived like that and i think that might like I said, the Marvel thing was the final nail. Like that ticked me off because now, like every man was a dick to her in her life. Right. You know what I mean? And she comes off very. And people have said she comes off very. I don't want to say unlikable. She's not very likable in here. And again, in the fence of the character in, as portrayed in the film and in in the film itself, she's going through some shit. Yeah, she doesn't know who she is. And her she, she, in the comic, she's had her mind. She's had memory loss at least three times by my count. Yeah, so I mean, as, that as, was actually smart to have her not know who she was and uncap it. Right. But by erasing Marvel now, like every man in her life was a jerk. Uh, by the way, you know, even even Fury, who like called in <laughs> called in Shield to uh, come get her, like you know they yeah. they they develop a pretty good relationship. Uh, funny that the best relationship is with uh, Ben Mendelsohn's Skrull character. You know that's that that turns out to be the uh, the guy that she can trust. Is, so that's another one. Is, is the like, shapeshifter? Yeah, I didn't like the. Oh my God, we're just poor refugee scrolls. Yeah. Which I'm like, no, scrolls are scumbags. However, there is a point uh, in the Marvel comic history, I want to say it's between, maybe between Infinity Gauntlet and Infinity War, 
where they get beaten back so bad, badly by the Cree that they are kind of in, uh, and this might've been where they, I, maybe this influenced the movie where they got beaten back so bad that silver surfer actually defends them because they're at risk of being extinct. Right. So to me, I'm like, okay, in my mind, maybe that's where they are now. Cause Mendelssohn does reference like, yeah, I did some shit in my past too. Yeah. I'd like, I hope eventually when they get, uh, the FF, the fantastic four in the MCU, that they can have the scree, the excuse me, the scrolls rise again. I think I was saying scree or cree. I don't know. The, the scrolls rise again and have them go back to being more militant and evil because that is the ebb and flow between the crees and the and the scrolls. Yeah, it, and, and they're, they're, it's constant offense, defense, good and good and bad, nonstop because they can't they can't stop hating each other, nor can they stop trying to take over the entire universe. Right, and I think that uh, you know whatever they are comfortable with as the ratio to good scroll versus bad scroll, as long as we see some bad scrolls, and honestly. As long as there's the super scroll, I almost yes. don't care about the rest of them. I just really I want the super scroll. Uh, so I don't know. Oh, that last, I'll say this. Yeah. Uh, last thing about the film, and then I, I do want to talk about the weird, kind of weird MCU inconsistencies some people are talking about. Okay. Is that last scene I hated. I thought that was embarrassing because it was like out of a sitcom with tal- the head scroll sitting there in a hoodie with his wife at the table and they're, they're yucking it up about their future. And then Nick Fury's doing dishes. With, with Carol Danvers, yeah, and his eye is inflamed, <laughs> like Rocky movies. Like, yeah, it's fine. Yeah, that was just, that was so weird to me. I'm like, what? Yeah, apparently that wasn't the original ending. I guess uh, she. What was it? She wasn't going to go off with the scrolls. She was going to just go off into space by herself and have more adventures. Uh, and then I guess they wanted to, for whatever reason, who knows what they have planned for down the road. They wanted to kind of put a button on the on the scroll storyline. So uh, they they just uh, went full speed ahead on that. And yeah, it's funny because it definitely has a, a sitcom feel, but. Uh, I, I don't know. And then some people felt like that was just striving to find any way to make her likable and human and, and all that. Uh, but uh, I, I, yeah, I don't, uh, I, I don't know. I, I just, I'm interested to see if they'll ever tell any stories from what happens after that point. I thought the same thing. Cause, Cause I would assume be this 20 year gap. Yeah. Cause I feel like the next captain Marvel movie is going to happen after Endgame and whatever comes next, you know, it'll be present day, uh, Carol. Uh, so I, I don't, I don't know that we're going to get like, okay, and now we're in the early two thousands, you know, like the way that the, the last few X-Men movies have all been about a decade apart. So I, I don't know. It'll be interesting to see what they do with her. And that's, uh, we can talk about the inconsistencies, uh, in a moment, but, uh, what did you think about the mid credit scene? That is clearly a scene from end game. And also we see Carol very briefly at the end of the latest trailer, uh, my hope is sort of what you're saying that, you know, it's a character that might work well in, in a team setting. Uh, and, uh, I'm interested to see in, and how well she basically plays with others. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, what are your thoughts and expectations for what we'll get out of her in Endgame? Well, I'm hoping that she works better. Now here's that she works better in a team, uh, in a team film and a team dynamic. Now, what's interesting about this is a lot of people like me thought she was really flat in this film. And they were saying, well, I hopefully, though, then you'll see more of her personality and just kind of a overall maybe better performance or what have you under the Russo brothers. Well, here's the problem with that. She shot her Infinity, her, her Avengers Endgame scenes before her solo film. So we don't know what it's going to be like. She was, 
I don't know if she, you know, if she would have done it under the Russo's guise of, okay, you're 20 years older from, from right. when you were in the film you didn't shoot yet. You know what I mean? I don't know how you do that as an actor. But it's, it's going to be interesting. Her performance is going to be one thing. As far as her dynamic on the team, I honestly don't know what they're going to do with her. It's, it, it leads into, back to her film. She's so ridiculously powerful. Yeah. So I, I never felt, I never cared for her in the film because I never felt she was in danger. She wiped out a fleet. Just, oh, yeah, yeah, I got power. You know, she tapped into her binary powers. Of course, we know that. Yeah. If you read the comics, but it doesn't, it doesn't matter if you didn't. But I don't, I don't know what they're going to do with her. And they, they can't, they're not going to have her show up and kill Thanos or whatever. Because, A, they would never do that to the, the old-time Avengers and, and make them look like shit. Yeah. The actors wouldn't have liked that. You know, there's a, a million reasons why they won't. She'll play a part in it, and she should. It should be a team effort. Yeah, I, th- I think that but that's I don't know the story what that they need to tell. I don't know. Yeah, so it'll be interesting to, to see uh, how, how it goes. And, you know, we've only got a, we've got a month until Endgame at this point. And, uh, you know, basically basically every day until then is just just biding time, whittling away the hours until uh, I can, you know, finally see what happens here. And, uh, you know, they've they've sold me on the movie. OK, enough. All right. I'll just I'll just go see it and, uh, you know, uh, see what happens uh, before we uh, wind things up. I wanted to. So you had there were some. It was MCU in- inconsistencies that oh, uh, you wanted yeah. to talk about. I want to. I don't. I'm curious what you think. How they're gonna. The ones that people have pointed out are here. Here's the big. The two. Well, one's kind of big. One's kind of not. Is when Fury has this big adventure with Kree's uh, and Skrulls and Carol Danvers and all this stuff from outer space with an armada on the edge of Earth, almost in, ready to invade. Yet in the first Avenger film. He says the whole reason they have all those Tesseract weapons is because of Thor, because when Thor showed up, we knew we weren't alone. Yeah, no, I know. And I think that that's just uh, that's one of those things that they're like, yeah, we didn't know. Uh, we didn't know where we were going. So See, yeah. they, can, they could write their way out of this and just say, well, he didn't want you know what I mean? He didn't want to talk about it. He had his mind wiped. Maybe that happens in Captain Marvel, too. I don't know. Yeah, it, it's true. Uh, it, 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 they can still fix it's, that. That's stuff. that's an easy fix if they if they choose to. Usually they're just like, man, whatever. Uh, and uh, but the uh, bigger yeah. one, the bigger one is where she gives them the the, you know, tricked out pager. Yeah, it says it's only for emergencies. And as someone pointed out, so New York getting invaded by an alien armada wasn't an emergency, or or Ultron trying to take over the planet wasn't an emergency. Look, I'll give the, I'll give I'll give him Ultron because it's domestic. But yeah, the first Avengers—that's a great time to page her. <laughs> and so, what's the explanation? Oh yeah, well I hadn't put a new battery in it. It was it was in the charger. Uh, I left it at my beach house. You know. Oh, and how the hell did the Tesseract end up there? Isn't shouldn't it be frozen with Captain America? No, I, it's funny because I saw the movie with Jeff, and he had the same question. If you remember at the end of First Avenger. They find the Tesseract. They don't find Cap. So it, that actually makes sense that it can end up. In, I don't remember that. Yeah. I got to watch that again. I, I didn't remember it either, in all honesty, because Jeff asked me and I'm like, huh. So I looked I looked it up. And so it just needs to get to, I don't know, Norway or wherever it was, you know. So, you know, there's there's a, a bunch of ways. So like Fury getting it is one of those things that I didn't think made sense when I saw the movie. But it uh, turns out that's actually not a problem. So, uh, oh, good. Yeah. All right. So, 
Anyway, well, Rob, as we have proven, we can uh, spend an hour talking about Captain Marvel, where we mostly talk about the movie for 20 minutes and mostly talk about old comics, which I'm perfectly uh, in favor of. And, you know, it's been a while since you've been on the podcast, but it's going to have to be again soon because, like I said, Endgame's only a month away. Well, so do you, I, I don't even know if tickets are on sale yet because they keep, they keep uh, you know, teasing you, you know, about, like, Find out when they're going to go on sale. Maybe some theaters have them on sale. Do you I don't worry about it anymore. I see so few films now yeah. in the theater. And my, I have like a couple friends who I, we go to movies with. And basically one guy is in charge of tickets. Nice. And he'll text me and say, do you want to go this? I'll say yes or no. And then he takes care of them. Right. I but, like that. Uh, tomorrow I'm going to see Us, which I'm super psyched to see, the new Jordan Peele film. And then uh, I don't think I see anything until Endgame. Uh, I don't think I'll see anything until Endgame either, actually. But that's just because I got two kids. But, um, but I got to start. I got to start reading comics. Yeah, I know. I, I got my end, Road to Endgame starts uh, tomorrow. Oh my gosh! Well, uh, do you do you have the list? Do you know how many books yep. it is? Or yeah, uh, I didn't count them, but it's long. And, and by the way, I should say that if anybody's ever interested in uh, homework, <laughs> a homework assignment, I can recommend what books you can read, what which ones you don't have to, which ones you can skim, and which ones you can skip. Leading up to any of these movies. So, you, so yes, uh, you know, Rob is kind of the the librarian of the Marvel universe, uh, sort of, sort of the watcher in a I was way. Just say the yeah. watcher, a watu. So, if you tweet him at R. Lorich, he'll let you know. And yeah, they'll say like, should I, should I read uh, Avengers one eighty one when Carol joins the Avengers for the first time? I would say no. But uh, what do I know? Uh, but you know, so the, you know, and who knows what they? What do you do. know, Christian? You're paid by Disney. That's true. I am. I'm paid by Cashing Disney. Them sweet Disney payoff checks. And and I used to be paid by Fox, but now the checks just all come from one place, which makes my life so much easier. It's nice. Yeah, I <laughs> know. It's it's nice. Uh, anyway, well, Rob, uh, thanks so much for uh, taking some time to uh, join me and all of Blackcast Nation talking about uh, all these uh, things, and I'll be interested to hear how your uh, your homework goes heading up to Endgame and any uh, new discoveries that you might find in there. Uh, but uh, we will talk to you again soon. Uh, that's all of our time for this episode. And next week, we'll talk not about Captain Marvel. Uh, we'll talk not about Marvel Comics at all. Actually, I know what we're going to talk about. Uh, I have a uh, my friend uh, Carson, my friend Jessica, is uh, going to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame induction because she's a big Def Leppard fan, so I want to let her talk about that. And the Motley Crue movie, which I haven't watched yet, Rob, but uh, I'm uh, waiting to watch it. Uh, I'll have watched it in time for next week. So we're going to talk some rock next week. We're going to shake things up a little bit. Uh, so to keep in touch, at Bladcast on Twitter, the Blackcast on Facebook, blackcast.com, B-L-A-D-T-C-A-S-T. And me, I'm at Christian DMZ, Twitter and Instagram. And as I always like to make sure that everybody knows, I am one of the hosts of a number of shows over at AfterBuzz TV. Sunday nights at 9 Pacific, I do Marvel TV Weekly. And let's see. Oh, Thursday afternoons. This is a big one. We were just talking about Marvel movie news over on the Popcorn Talk Network. But I tweet out links to everything, so you can just follow me at Christian DMZ. Thanks again, Rob, and uh, we will see you all next time on the Blackcast.